following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. I would argue, and I think it'd be hard to refute, that you don't really tell the truth about a person when they're going through days described with sunshine and lollipops. You know, when you're at the heights of success, sure, there are some tests to see what you can accomplish when you are at the height of your game, when you're doing your best, when you're receiving the accolades and affirmations of the people around you. Sure, there are some tests that are baked into those types of scenarios, but that does not really define or really test the type of person you really are compared to the opposite of those moments. You know, not when you're on the mountaintop of success and where everyone is smiling at you, where everyone is patting you on the back, where everybody wants to be around you and loves you and acts and talks like they do, but but when you're in a deep, dark valley, when your enemies seem to be getting the upper hand, whether it's family or friends or coworkers or those whom you trusted just seem to be holding the knife that they pulled out of your back and it's all full of the blood inflicted upon you. The, the wounds from the people closest to you that you thought you trusted, those people who might praise you when you're at the top, but maybe it's you slipped up, you had a mistake, or maybe somebody came at you to try and take you out at the knees or worse, and now you're at the bottom, and now you really, you don't just find out a lot about the people around you and the type of allegiances that they have for you when you're not at the top, but when you're at the bottom, now you find out the type of person you really are. In those moments when the world seems to be against you, when you could not climb out of the ditch, even if for a moment things would work in your favor. It is in those types of moments, I would argue, and I really do believe that it's hard to refute, that you find out the type of person you really are. Those no matter what kind of moments really prove to you what's going on in the deepest, darkest corners of your heart. That's, I think, almost unlike any other time in life when you find out what your true identity is, what your true security is, the true affirmation you are looking for, the true allegiances you are after. Isn't that what we see in the world around us? I mean, the world around us operates with certain paradigms, and we've been talking about this through this entire worship series in October. Radical regime. And what makes the regime of Jesus so radical is that he operates with different principles and policies than what we see in all the power structures of the world around us. I mean, it doesn't matter what side of the globe you are on. It doesn't matter what era or generation you grew up in. It doesn't matter whether you are looking in newspaper or flipping through a news feed on your phone. It's the same old story played out. Everyone's after what? Power in some way, shape, or form. And they'll get it any way they can, whether it's money or its influence, or its followers, or its traction, or its economic input, whatever it is, whether you're looking at politics and governments, whether you're looking at the structures of society around us, the people who are vying for the next cultural currents and trends, even your own life, look at your work, people who can easily try to climb some corporate ladder, and if you just so happen to be one of the rungs that they can step on, You've seen it. Maybe you've even been part of it. It happens not even just when money or position or power at work or in the world is at play. It can even happen among relationships, 
among family members, and among friends as people are after some type of security, some type of peace promised by this world that never delivers. And it's in those types of moments that you really get to test the no matter what corners of your heart. So I'll ask you, when push comes to shove and when all else fails, and it does and it will, what is, what is at the no matter what corners of your heart? How would you define those aspects of your life? Isn't that exactly where we find Daniel in the reading you just heard from before? I mean, here's Daniel. We heard about him last week in Daniel chapter one. Babylon came over and they made no exceptions and showed a grand total of zero mercy in laying waste to the southern kingdom of Judah, destroying Jerusalem and carrying off the best and brightest to Babylon. I mean, think about it. It's a pretty wise political move. If you don't want any insurgencies or any people to, to revolt, you're going to take the best and brightest who could cause such things, carry them over into your kingdom, and indoctrinate them and inculcate them so that they now no longer become risks but assets to your kingdom. And that's David. Excuse me, Daniel. Guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they were later named. Pulling them over into Babylon, and guess what happened with Daniel. He's so mindful and respectful, recognizing, as we said last week, that he has a foot in both kingdoms. The one of faith that makes him a child of God and an heir of all of God's promises forever, and also a foot in the kingdom of this world, recognizing that that is an authority over him and he must be mindful and respectful therein. We talked a lot about that last week, and you see it play out when push comes to shove this week in Daniel chapter 6, because here's Daniel. He's going to be put first in command. I mean, if you're the king, this is a wise move. You can have all of the stressors and you can find all of the insecurities you have in yourself. Or if there's some stud who comes along like Daniel, you can just put him in charge. And that's what he wants to do. And if all of the people around him, the prefects, the satraps, the governors, could there be more titles, all of these guys think what about Daniel? We can't wait to serve under this guy, said none of them. No, instead, what do they do? They pull out the playbook that is as old as time of this world, and they could have closed their eyes and flipped through the playbook and pulled out one page, and guess what it was? We want power, and we're going to go about it any way we can. So what did they look for? They look for collusion or corruption. Did he have some moral failure? Was he messing around? Did he have that one bad night or maybe that one bad morning? Did he, did he tick off the wrong person, and we got to try and find and create a court case? Nope. Man, we're finding nothing. How about negligence. And any of the governmental uh, officials around them, how about we look in every deep, dark corner that we've ever seen him lay a fingerprint and let's see if we can find one thing that he did wrong. Ah, fresh out of evidence. And so what did they deduce? They're going to use media, creating a narrative. They're even going to use a heavy degree of marketing in order to get the king to publish this edict because they know that the one weak spot, so they think, where they'll catch Daniel is something that has to do with the worship of his God, the law of his God, they say. Because, man, that guy is just so religious and faithful. He's so faithful, let's try and use this against him. So that's what they do. They convince King Darius, and then they do use this narrative and marketing and media, all to do what? to set a certain messaging system out across the waves so that everyone can hear the news and know that this is the new standard, the new culture, the new 
following that we have in our world today, and anyone who goes against it is not just going to get canceled, it's going to be worse. Does this sound familiar to you? Oh, but we're so smart in our day and age. All the problems that we face are brand new. (laughs) And what does Daniel do? when he could sit there and he could sound like some giant fat crybaby about how all the world is against him and it's so hard to live as a Christian, a believer. He could sit there and put on his victim mentality badge and sound like, oh, this is so bad and everyone's out to get me. He could grab the equivalent of his, of his Facebook post and decide that he is going to rant and rave about all the things that are terrible and he be, feels vindicated or... Or he could see that all those things are frivolous and worthless, and what is he going to do? Just as he did before, those words to jump off the page at you. Just as he did before, what was his routine? What was his MO? How did Daniel demonstrate where his true, no matter what type of heart, found its security? He found rest in the security that only God can give, and that's where he put all of his worth. Worth is the base word for the word worship, and that's exactly what Daniel did three times a day, just as he did before. Okay, what else is new? It's another day that ends in Y, and I don't care what edict has been promoted across the airwaves. Where am I going to go? I'm going to go worship. And instead of trying to take some posture and use some politics and power of his own in order to manipulate so he can create a comfortable setting in life for his own situation, what does he do? Instead of trying to create some allegiances the hard way by coercing people and manipulating and using his own media and messaging and playing according to all of the ploys of this world, which can so easily enrapture not just the ploy pagans of this world, but even believers, instead of buying into any of that garbage, he's not after power, he's not after prestige, it is only a matter of God's grace, he takes the greatest stance of any Pledge of Allegiance, not puffing up his chest. It's not just about patriotism, not even just about some power move. He takes the greatest stance of all. What is this posture? He goes and gets down on his knees. And he chose that he chooses to believe and see where his greatest security lies. Edicts come and go. Powers rise and fall. We just said before, God lifts his voice, the earth melts. Who's really in control? Well, that really is determined by where your security lies when you're in that no matter what moment. And for Daniel, this is what he knows. To worship his God because his truest security is found there. Is that true for you? I've seen what happens when calamity collides with what was otherwise a peaceful reality in your life. Not all of you, some of you. I've seen what happens when everything was mundane. In fact, mundane might seem boring, but some of you have been praying for a going back to the boring days because it's been tragedy and struggle and trial one after the next. You just wish, could there be some calm seas in my future Lord? And in every single one of those moments, when the world is testing your allegiance and calling for your obedience, 
When people around you whom you respect are calling for your allegiance, when your own heart aches and you wish you could just get a break, in all of those no matter moments and more, where do you find security? The answer to that question probably is found in your routine, in what you're going to do in those moments, and in your posture in those moments. Is it that you come out swinging and you're going to fight against everyone who's against you, or, or might it be that your first reaction, your default move, would be exactly what you've always known? And look at where you are right now. Doesn't that say something? I mean, you, you are here because you know the value of God's word. You, you know what it means to find rest in God's promises alone. And so you can give in to all of the power structures of this world, but if you play according to the rules of this world, then what does that mean you're really after? You're after to what, what the world promises you, which is comfort and peace and affirmation. And if you play by those rules, then you'll be lifted up. And if you don't, you will get canceled. How ironic, by the way, that we live in a world that loves justification, vindication, and cancellation, and yet knows not one thing about forgiveness. Is that not ironic? or maybe it's just as old as time. So whenever our knee-jerk reaction is to play according to the, the playbook of this world, what are we really after? We're after some kind of security that's rooted in this world, and it will only leave us disappointed, and we will end up being the victim of those same rules someday. In those no-matter-what moments, what is the automatic turning of your heart? To play? To play this game? that doesn't surpass death or, or maybe it's found even in simple knees to the ground prayer and worship to the God who doesn't just promise you security that will never be taken from you. He delivers it. He delivers it and that can't be taken away. Daniel knew that. And my friends, I, I know that you and I know that too. There was another time when people were pushed into this no matter what kind of moment. It was over 500 years ago. In fact, if you go back to 1523, do you know what this year is the 500th anniversary of? It is the first time Lutherans were killed, burned at the stake. Not because they carried this weird label like Lutheran, which causes a lot of people even today to be like, what is that? Are you guys some weird group? Is that even Christian? And then the joke back is always, we're the grandpa that nobody told you about. Ha ha. No, no, it's not that. It's actually that they were confessing that no power or pastor or pope, no monk, no nun, no royal pontiff, no nobody can coerce your soul into obedience and spiritual slavery that nobody has the right to tell you that you have to pay money in order to get forgiveness from God, and if it's not just forgiveness for you, it is for your dead ancestors. That nobody has the right to take God's word and to twist it around in order to force you into allegiance by bending your knee to a person who stands in between you and a holy God. Nobody has the right to do that because you and I by God's word alone, we have God's free grace alone, regardless of your past or your present. 
His mercies are new every morning and they are carried out in Jesus Christ for you. God so loved you. You are in the world and God so loved the world and he carried this out for you so that by faith you are his child. And there's no person that can get in the way of what God says. And you can read that for yourself. So being Lutheran simply means look for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Look at God's word. Look for yourself. And they were killed for it. 500 years ago. You want to talk about a no matter what moment? When the, the pile is amassed and there's the stake and you're going to be tied to it and there's a person holding a torch when you know what the lion's den means and you've heard stories about how people get devoured before they can even touch the ground and you're next in those no matter what moments, what is your greatest security? For Daniel? Let it be, Lord. For those old Lutherans 500 years ago, here we stand on God's word of promise that will never fail. For you, it's the same. It's the same. Because the Savior who died for you proved to you that you will never have a life that ends in meaningless power plays that promise you some type of allegiance from people around you but will only leave you disappointed. You have been given a life that will never fail, an eternity that will not be destroyed, and a word of God that cannot pass away. Jesus' resurrection from the grave proves it, and that tomb is still empty. And as long as it is, which will be forever, then that means the promises that God has made to you will never fade away either, but will last forever. That is what we stand upon. It is a matter of life and death, eternally speaking, and God has given that to us by his word that can never fail. So here's Daniel, and he's tossed into this lion's den, and it sounds like just some silly folklore, except if you dig in historical records, you would see that Babylonians were known for doing such things, even outside of biblical texts. And here they are throwing Daniel in there, and guess what happens? Not a scratch on him, and he knows what's going on, that beyond what he can see, just as true for you and me, beyond what we can see and what we can understand only with our brains, there is something spiritually and eternally powerful going on beyond that, and we all know it. And here are the angels of God protecting him that those lions, despite what they might be looking at with their eyes, despite how they might be prowling around and even growling while they're doing it, he knows that the Lord is protecting him. How fitting for Christians to hear this. Despite all the powers that might be at play that make it seem like everything is against us, God still says he is watching out for us. And it's true, and that's for you. And here comes the king because not only has Daniel demonstrated that his security is completely in the hands of God, but he also trusts in God's plan for him as well. It influenced the king, this living God whom you serve faithfully. Those are the king's words of a pagan king, no less, who welcomes worship from people. This living God whom you serve, has he saved you? And of all the things that Daniel could have done, he, the only thing that he does first and foremost is to give praise and credit to God. Because not only is he completely at rest in the security God gives, he is also at peace according to God's plan for him. Sometimes that means that God will rescue his believers, rescue them from death, martyrdom. He did that with Daniel. He did that with Martin Luther. Martin Luther was declared Vogelfrei. The German term means bring him dead or alive. I don't care if you bring just a head. He needs to die and we need to see proof and we will pay you for it. And time after time, God saved Martin Luther. And why? Because you know what he did? Was he perfect? No. God used him to translate the Bible into the common language and not just by coincidence, but by God's plan, the printing press was just invented a couple decades earlier so that 
God's word and his clear promises would be put at the disposal of everyone so people could see the promises of God for themselves. And time after time, God preserved Luther until that final time when his life was taken. Or maybe for those first two Lutherans in 1523 that were burned at the stake, God's plan might be that for us, that we might stand before councils and we might be devoured like sheep before wolves. But you know what? Whatever God's plan is for you, it is not just to leave you with persecution and suffering that is meaningless. It's not meaningless. It is to allow you to see this world for what it is and an eternal plan that God has for you forever. That your your idea of this world and the way that you live in it is not left or relegated to the meaningless power structures we find herein, but it is to belong to a God who has given you his word that will never fail, and so you rest in his hands, and his word of promise will never fail you. So you know what that means? It means that you can face not just those days that are like sunshine and lollipops, but you can face those valleys that are deep and dark and hard and make you weary And you can even smile, maybe not with your mouth, but with your heart of faith. You you can do what somebody else did in 1523, 500 years ago. You know what Martin Luther did? When Lutherans, when Christians are being killed for believing in God's free grace and salvation for all people, free, people are being killed for it. You know what he could sit down and write? We just sang it. Page 11. Dear Christians, one and all rejoice with exaltation springing and with united heart and voice and holy rapture singing. Proclaim the wonders God has done, how his right arm the victory won, how dearly it has cost him, his own son. Verse six, the son obeyed his father's will, was born a virgin mother, and God's good pleasure to fulfill, he came to be my brother. No garb of pomp or power he wore, a servant's form like mine he bore to lead the devil captive. When it looks like everything is going to put you in that no matter what moment, that is really when you find out what you're made of. And you don't have to trust in yourself in those moments. Trust in the God whom Daniel trusted, who saved him. Trust in the God whom those old Lutherans trusted. Trust in the God that we all trust in. This is the God who resurrects the dead to life, who gives eternal words that will never fail. And he's not about to change that for you and me. He didn't centuries and millennia ago, and he's not about to do that today. God grant us such no matter what faith. Amen. 